Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the race between vaccination rates and infection rates continues. We expect to remain on the same delivery schedule with 2 million doses expected each week in May starting next week and 2.4 million doses each week in June. The supplier Pfizer has also confirmed that shipments will continue to go directly to the provinces on the same schedule. The government faces more pressure over allegations of sexual misconduct in the military. If a woman can raise a concern and it goes to the highest office and nothing is done, that is a horrible message being sent to women across this country. So it is not good enough for Justin Trudeau to come up with excuses and say what he knew and when he knew it, he knows it now. And internal strife in the Conservative Party as Lisa Raitt is forced from her riding association. It comes down to the old idea of whether you can get your own act together within your party and why should Canadians vote for you if you can't. It's Monday, May the 3rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us today. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you again. And, you know, it feels like every week we sort of take stock of where we stand on the coronavirus. And, and now the focus has shifted very much in the past month to where do we stand in terms of vaccinating Canadians from coast to coast? And what impact is that having On the numbers, Um, in Ontario, the infection rate is still pretty high, despite measures that have been put in place to try to curb people's movements. But every week, more and more people are being vaccinated and more and more shipments of vaccines are arriving in the country. So I know every day people are watching to see when the, the scales will kind of tip in a different direction, right? Yeah, and it's really hard to know. Um... You know, it feels like, you know, how many corners have we, you know, I've talked about this, well, since the beginning, how many corners have we have we turned since the pandemic began? Sometimes good stuff's around the corner and sometimes bad stuff's around the corner. Uh, a lot of the times it's bad stuff. So I think a lot of people are waiting to see when we get around this corner, and it feels like it's probably going to be more of a sweeping curve than a corner as this race continues to try and, you know, uh, get enough vaccines into people's arms that, uh, we start to bring down the infection rate and, and start to, you know, uh, tamp down the third wave. But I think it's pretty clear that we, we're not there yet and, and we have some distance to go. The signs are positive in terms of, you know, the next couple of weeks will be really important for the vaccination rate because and I think the, the the provinces will be in the spotlight for the next couple of weeks marks mark because there won't be any excuses about vaccine supplies and, and unless something in the supply chain goes wrong but right now you know Canada is expecting two million doses of vaccines a week for the next uh, six to ten eight to ten weeks so lots of vaccine supply through May and June and now the onus will be on the provinces to get it uh, quickly into people's arms, and you see that they're they're opening up uh, to different age brackets uh, more quickly in terms of being able to book vaccinations. So I think this will be a real test the next couple of weeks to see whether you know we have the infrastructure in place to vaccinate people quickly, even as in some provinces the numbers are going up. The questions you know are still being asked about you know whether measures being taken in some provinces are enough. Lots of uh, eyes on Alberta these days because it's 
got a real problem out there and people in the healthcare system out there are really concerned that this is out of control out there and it's going to take uh, much tougher measures to get it under control even with vaccinations because there's always that lag period as you know between you know infection numbers and how many people end up in hospital how many people need intensive care units how many people uh, need ventilators so uh, you know, even when numbers start to come down, the strain on the hospital doesn't for several weeks after that. Yeah, so we'll see. And it feels like another crucial, potentially pivotal week. And, and we'll uh, we'll look to see how it all unfolds. Um, so yeah, I think the, the, the main thing that we've seen in this pandemic, and this will, you know, no matter how good things look, it's that everything's off balance. Everything is always sort of, you know, you're, you're weighing... Uh, you're, you're, you're weighing what's good versus what's bad and hoping this will be a better week than the last week. And you really don't know until it's behind you. It's been, it's been impossible to predict how well we're doing until we do well at it for a while. And that's happened, you know, all too rarely during the pandemic. All right. Let's turn to some of the other things we'll be watching in Canadian politics this week. Um, of course, uh, there has been a lot of scrutiny on the Canadian Armed Forces and the allegations of sexual misconduct in the senior ranks. There is now an inquiry that has been launched into that, headed by Louise Arbour. We're expecting more uh, committee work to be uh, done around this, examining uh, what's going on, The more pressure from the opposition to have certain people testify at committee. Uh, and over the weekend... The defense minister, Harjit Sajjan, wouldn't answer questions about whether he knew the allegations against Jonathan Vance, the former chief of the defense staff, were sexual in nature. Um, so do you see more and more pressure coming from the opposition on this in the next couple of days? Well, I think so. And, you know, really, we, we look at this story as you, on sort of a couple of tracks, right, as you touched on, is that you've got what appears to be a, an ongoing mess in the Canadian uh, forces um, with the issue of sexual misconduct and uh, even with inside the military, what you know, what happens when uh, there are issues? Uh, you know, we've seen the uh, you know uh, the treat you know on the, how the, the forces senior leadership, uh, interim senior leadership is dealing with you know Major General Peter Daw, who you know wrote a, a letter of support for a soldier convicted of sexual assault, and you, you and now he's been moved aside, and you wonder reading that is you, you know how does that happen? I think for a lot of Canadians, it's that's the question is somebody's convicted of sexual assault and you have a, their commander writing a letter uh, basically of, of support you, you know how do you look at that when when this person's not committing sexual assault they're a good soldier i mean it's a just stuff is happening that just has canadians shaking their heads and, and certainly victims of sexual assault within the military so you know, and now we've we've got another review, a major review of uh, the Canadian forces taking place, as you touched on with Louise Arbour. There's that, and then there's the very specific, um, uh, you know, questions being asked of the government's handling of the, the particular sexual uh, allegation misconduct, uh, the allegations of sexual misconduct against the former chief of defense staff and how the government has specifically handled those, what the prime minister knew, what people around him knew, what he was told, what he wasn't told. And there seem to be changing versions of events and the, the opposition parties are seizing on that. So when you have repeated interviews with uh, the minister of national defense saying, look, uh, uh, we kept saying, you know, we kept hearing that uh, at the time of the allegations when the government first learned about them in, in March of 2018, 
uh, from the uh, you know the former military ombudsman that there was nothing specific. The government had no specific, and then we hear that actually. Uh, you know the, the the complaints being brought forward. You know we're hearing testimony now that it was a, a complaint of sexual misconduct. Uh, you know c- coming from the Minister of National Defence's office, but did the Prime Minister know that? So there are still lots of questions to be asked, asked about this, and the, the Conservatives say they're going to keep pressing. And we'll, that's uh, the next chapter of this we'll see will be later today when uh, the National Defence Committee members, opposition members, try to push to get uh, Katie Telford, uh, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, who was in the loop now, we know that, and whether or not she told the Prime Minister and told him specifically it was a question of sexual misconduct, because if that's the case, then the question becomes why was General, uh, even if they couldn't get down to the, the the actual substance of the allegation, if they knew that was the allegation out there, why more wasn't done. Yeah. All right, finally, let's talk about uh, the latest sort of issue for Aaron O'Toole, the, the Conservative leader, to have to deal with within his own party, as opposed to being able to maintain his exclusive focus on the Liberal government and and perhaps the next election. Uh, Over the weekend, we learned that Lisa Raitt has uh, been effectively booted from her own riding association in the riding that she used to represent in Parliament all the way up to the last election. She was the deputy leader of the party at one point. What's going on there, and, and what does this represent in terms of the divisions within the Conservative Party? Well, it's not good. Anytime the headlines are talking about what's happening within your party, uh, and we've seen that uh, a number of those different examples with the Conservative Party uh, over time, and certainly recently under the leadership of Aaron O'Toole, uh, it's not good when when voters here again. This comes, you know, I've talked about this before, Mark. Comes comes down to the whole idea of whether you can get your own act together within your party. And so, and and why should Canadians vote for you if you can't? And so, there's two things. It's the appearance from outside. What do voters think of a party that's having trouble managing its own internal affairs? And also from inside, uh, conservatives need. You talk to conservatives; they need Lisa Raitt on the team. And Lisa Raitt uh, continues to say that she'll continue to work for the party. But uh, clearly, what's happened is a, an internal fight between the riding association over the direction of the upcoming campaign and the new candidate uh, who's running in that, uh, you know, riding for the conservatives. Uh, there in a DMAC bar and the way he wants to run things and the way the riding association uh, wanted to go about them and that results in a him stacking uh, stacking the, the vote for the riding association and uh, that ended up with uh, Lisa Raitt being out the door and a whole lot of people who uh, supported the old uh, who were part of the old riding association uh, gone as well so you see that kind of story and people wonder, okay, wow, uh, conservatives, if you're a conservative supporter or people who know about Lisa Raid and a lot of Canadians do, she was the, you know, uh, deputy leader of the party under Arnold O'Toole, a former cabinet minister. She held the riding, uh, of Milton for a long time for the conservatives, uh, before losing it. And you say to yourself, uh, how, how is it happening that someone who's been so, uh, you know, pivotal and uh, to the success of the party recently is allowed to be uh, shuffled out the door this way and uh, and you know the, uh, a lot of people looking at the story say it points back to the office of uh, of Mr. O'Toole and uh, so he may uh, have some problems to deal with from 
you know, longtime conservatives wondering uh, why this was allowed to happen at least a rate. And it all comes down to whether those people, having seen this, okay, do they keep working for the party in the next election, or are they so ticked off by it that they move on? Yeah. More questions uh, for Aaron O'Toole to answer about what's going on within his party, um, and I'm sure there will be conservatives across the country weighing uh, weighing in on this in the in the days ahead. All right, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, Mark. All the best. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. We will take extensive and ongoing measures to protect the health and safety and well-being of residents. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Rosie DeMano considers the long-term care situation in Ontario. DeMano writes, Ontario's Long-Term Care COVID-19 Commission has laid bare the innumerable ways that the province, its political and medical leaders, its bureaucrats, failed the most fragile among us during the pandemic. Time after time, when the correct decision could have been made, the wrong decision was taken. Amidst the panic of a plague, it was forgotten that these facilities are their homes, a fact of little traction, even in the most easeful of times. In the Globe and Mail, Brad Levine argues, 10 years after the orange wave, the NDP must recommit to Jack Layton's project. Levine writes, In the two federal elections since the orange wave, the NDP has lost three-quarters of its caucus and a million and a half votes. But the building blocks remain in place, Jagmeet Singh is the only leader of the four major federal parties with a net positive view from voters. Debts from the 2019 campaign have been repaid, fundraising efforts are gaining strength, and Canadians have a renewed appreciation for the role of activist government. But to capitalize, the NDP has to answer one question. Is it content to be the conscience of Parliament, or does it want to win? In the Vancouver Sun, Daphne Bramham, considers the case for a hand-me-down Olympics for post-pandemic times. Bramham writes, There's no doubt that reprising the Winter Games in Vancouver is possible, and it's likely that the IOC would cast a favorable eye on it. The 2030 vision is for an old clothes and porridge games using the $6 billion worth of infrastructure built the last time around. There is still plenty of time for public discussion, but a decision is a bit more urgent. Now that a Quebec City group has released a competing plan, a bidding war that will have to be decided by the Canadian Olympic Committee. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be joined by Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland for virtual discussions with seniors from Résidence Memphremagog in Magog, Quebec, and Shannex's Lozier Hall in Miramichi, New Brunswick. The Prime Minister will also chair the Cabinet meeting. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will make an announcement about recreational and sports infrastructure in the Montreal region. She will also announce support for seniors in Ottawa. And Minister for Seniors Deb Schulte will take part in a virtual event with the Canadian Association of Retired Persons. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, May 3rd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.